Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. The practice court is the coach's classroom. So as we travel through our coaching careers, how do we ensure we're getting better in this critical aspect which our season ultimately depends? This week, we start part one of executing better practices and discuss focus, points of precision, communication, and intangibles that will make our practices great. Before we start, a quick word from Manawata. Are you tired of waiting year after year for a great leader or a team full of players who know how to think the game? If so, why not bring PGC in to run a program clinic for your school or your AEU program? And we'll equip all of your players and your coaches in how to think the game, how to develop basketball IQ, and how to be leaders on and off the court. Just go to pgcclinic.com for details, and we'll send you a director for one, two, or three days to help you take your program and your culture to a whole new level. Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle. Today we have a really interesting topic. It's actually going to be broken into two different parts. So you'll get one this week and one next week. And we're going to talk about how to make better practices. Sam and Lisa and I were talking about the different things that go into making a good practice or the disruption of a practice or what might actually ruin a practice. And there was eight things that we came up and we know there's a lot of them. We've all experienced different things that have made practice good or bad, but we try to put them into some categories for you. And in this first episode, we're going to touch on four of those things. And really these four things in the first episode have to do with kind of more um, intangible, not as tangible things, but really visible things, things that you know affect a practice. And the second one, uh, the second episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about basketball specific stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and just give you a spoiler here. I'm going to give you all eight of them. And then we'll talk about the first four we're going to talk about today. And so let me list those off for us here, Sam. So the first one is focus. We know that we've all had bad practices, whether it was us, our lack of focus, our assistance, lack of focus, or our team's lack of focus. But if we're not focused, we're not ready. And this is really easy uh, thing to happen because there's so many practices over the course of the year, but you've got to have the focus right. The intention has to be right. The second thing is what we're going to talk about, what pops and points of precision and why these are so important for you and your staff to be aligned on to make sure that your teaching is actually really, really impactful and really meaningful and that it sticks. If we're all talking about different things, then there's going to be a problem. So we're going to talk about points of precision. The third one, something we talk about all the time, but the intangibles, like are the intangible things actually getting better and contributing to the environment and making for a a good practice or are they taking away? I think sometimes we don't spend enough time planning for those and then all of a sudden the intangibles actually take away from our practice when we really want them to enhance the practice. The fourth one is communication, and this can be a lot of different things. It can be staff communication. I think the one I hear from coaches most of the time uh, about really is is player communication. Why are they not communicating well? Uh, Why is nobody talking during practice? So we're going to talk about those first four in today's episode. In the second episode, we're going to attack five or four different ones. Number five is Um, habits and like precision of habits. Like how do you make sure your team is doing the little things really well uh, every single day? The sixth one is 
manipulating games. Like how do you actually go into a practice and maybe you don't have it planned perfect, but you know how to manipulate different drills and different games to make sure that you're hitting on the main thing. Your players are actually getting better and they're being challenged. The seventh thing we're going to talk about is competition. We all want competitive practices. And how do we ensure that our practices are competitive? And when they're not, what do we do to make changes there? And finally, number eight is how do you pivot? How do you pivot in practice? You know, when things aren't going as planned, you know, we've all had really well laid plans and then we get there and it's not going how we thought it would go. And how do you effectively pivot so that you do not waste a day? That was a lot, Sam. So we're going to talk on eight different things that we're going to help coaches to use to make better practices. I I I listed the first four that we're going to talk about today. So let's just jump into the first one. How do we ensure that the focus is right? The focus of our staff, our our focus individually, and the focus focus of our team. What are some tips and tricks that we can use to make sure that every single day is a focused practice? Well, I think, TJ, let's first just define focus because a lot of coaches have different definitions of it. How do you define focus? Uh, you know, I one of the, I think probably the most common thing that I would hear you would hear me say in practice is locked in. So when I think about focus, I think about locked in, like to the mission, to the drill, to what's to to whatever is in front of us. Um, are we are we locked in? So I don't have a real good broad definition, but when I when I tell my team let's focus, I'm really saying let's lock in. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of coaches might it. it it's something that's a feel a little bit. It's a feel that you have as a coach if a player or your team is focused on the task at hand. And I think this is one, TJ, we've talked about it in previous episodes. We've talked about it on courtside with Sefu Bernard. And that's you got to prime the environment oftentimes. So are you priming the environment, meaning, you know, that's your pre-practice routines, that's your pre-practice huddle, and as a coach, I think it's really important you set the tone uh, and you do it with your own personality on how do you prime that environment. And that's, again, getting your mind or getting your players' minds right, their bodies loose, ready, um, and so that we're all on the same page. And, and sometimes, the, you know, the number one miscommunication is the illusion that it took place. So we expect our players to be focused, but we haven't set the, the environment before we even start practice or before we even start the drill, before we start the five-on-five or the three-on-three that we're doing. So I think that's where it starts, TJ, is priming the environment to ensure you have 100% focus from your team. Yeah, I agree. I I think that's the first part of focus is, is making sure that you're setting that tone and priming the environment. You know, when I, when I think about focus, I think that, um, it's almost just like we talk about all the time. I think it's important to give the players the why behind focus. You know, I mean, how many games come down to little things? I talk to my team about this all the time and maybe reflect back on the year before or, or previous years, how many games were won or lost by five or six points or less. And I remember several years ago, I looked at the stat um, in the NCAA, the number of games that came down to, you know, three or less possessions. And it was a staggering number of games that came down to so few possessions. And when I look back on our season, you know, from last year or the year before, yeah, you know, occasionally there's a margin big or small or whatever, but you'd be shocked how many times you won or lost a close game by like three or less possessions. And so uh, what 
how is that going to affect us? Like, why? Why is focus important here, guys? Why is focus important here, girls? Because there, there's likely going to come – our season is going to come down to it. There's going to be two or three possessions a game, and we can't waste those. And our, our, our intentional focus is going to be the difference. And I've shared this story many a times before, but I remember Kobe telling the story about how in high school – they lost a game because he didn't hit a box out. He was thinking about the next play or something like that. And he said from there on out, I think it was math class or science. I think it was math class. He said, I decided to never check out a math class ever again. I decided to go in there and lock in and be focused. Why? Because it was the most boring class for him. And he found himself losing focus in games. And he decided that to lock into the most boring thing in his life so that he wouldn't lose focus in anything that he was doing in a game. And so Kobe recognized that he he recognized the importance of focus. And obviously it's harder for us for a 14 year old, a 16 year old, an 18 year old, a 20 year old to, to really lock in and be focused all the time. But I really do think you have to sell the why uh, maybe even before you do the priming of the environment. So they got to believe focus matters first of all. And then second, you've got to prime their focus to get ready to go in and, uh, perform that every day, perform a drill, perform whatever it is that you're doing with high focus. Yeah, you've, uh, you've got to focus on your focus. And the story on Kobe, to, to just go deeper on that, that, that's high level maturity. I mean, Kobe was a different level mindset, his Mamba mentality. But he, he took a boring thing, something he, he did not like, and he, and he said, I'm going to be ultra focused on it Therefore, when I go into basketball, which I have a passion for, it's going to be easier for me to focus on the box out, focus on setting the screen, focus on sprinting the floor. Not enough players, TJ, know the why. They don't go deep enough on the why. They just kind of participate in practice. They kind of do the next drill that the coach gives them. And so I love that point that you must go deeper on the why. And it starts with us as coaches we can't expect our players to know the why if we don't communicate. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, then it's time to drop that drill. It's time to drop, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're focused on as a coach. So that's a really good one. Yeah, and I, I really like, you know, what you talked about there with it starts with us. I mean, I think coaches, you know, we, we're guilty of this too. We have lives. We have a lot going on. And there's many times I see coaches go into practice unfocused as well and not stay focused. And it's important to be focused every time that you're in practice to ensure that your team is following your lead. It starts with us. You know, and the last thing I would say about focus is, yeah, you want to start the environment with focus. But at the same time, there's going to be many a times throughout practice when players are going to lose focus. Sam, what are your thoughts on bringing focus back when you've lost it? Well, I my first thing that I think of on, on loss of focus is how do I turn it over to the players? How do I empower the players to take control of the focus? So typically every team, you're going to have a, one or two leaders that are, you know, step up and, and have leadership uh, skills a little bit further along than your other players. So for me, I pull aside a couple of our leaders during a water break or I'll send, send the whole team to hydrate and I'll pull two players aside. Um, or I might just do it in live play when we're working on the drill and say, Hey, you know, hey, Jaden, look, man, like right now, this doesn't get it done. This is not going to beat the best teams. Like our focus right now in this defensive drill we're doing isn't good enough. I need, you need to fix it. Now, 
that if I just leave that comment alone, a lot of coaches went out and did what I just said, and, and they went up to a player and said, "Fix it." That player doesn't know how to fix it. Well, you got a problem. So you got to know your players. Can they really fix it, or do I need to do a better job of teaching them how to fix it? It might be just setting the tone themselves with their effort, their communication, or it might be them, you know, really pulling aside a couple players and and bringing a couple along with them. Last thing I'll say on it. You know, TJ, I found this to be an effective tool in coaching. Let's say that the, we're we're doing um, we're working on our man-to-man defense, how we guard the ball, how we play in gaps and, and one pass away. So we do a defensive cutthroat drill oftentimes, three-on-three three or four-on-four. Four, we got to get three stops in a row. We call it a kill drill. If the focus isn't really good, I may stop practice and – emotionally or passionately say, guys, this isn't good enough. This doesn't get it done. And I, and I might turn and then at that point in front of the whole team and say, Jaden, nobody's communicating. You're, you're the captain of our communication. Hey, if, if uh, Julian or, or Jackson aren't communicating, that's on you, Jaden. You got it? That's on you. If they don't communicate, that's on you. So in front of the whole team, TJ, I'm telling one player – if, if something's not happening, that's on you. And that in itself heightens their, their peers to be more focused because they don't want to let down or disappoint their own teammate. And so that's just one little tool that I'll use in a practice. Uh, that could fall under many other categories, but that's, that's a tool that I think coaches can use. Yeah, I've always liked giving the team timeouts, like giving them, you know, one or two timeouts a game. Um, I've even thought about this year, you know, we get three thirties in a full and just giving them the same thing in practice. And I think what's really important here is to tell them what your non-negotiables are. Like, listen, if we lack focus, if we lack energy, if we lack communication or precision or whatever it is that you're really a stickler about that you don't want to lack, I find myself, you know, you know, at least, you know, once or twice a day or maybe, you know, a couple times a week saying, hey, guys, that ain't it. And when they hear me say that ain't it, that means something's wrong. Like this is, this is not the standard and it's a great time to use a timeout. And in that timeout, you know, a leader or a captain, you know, has that 30 seconds or maybe it's a full timeout because it's about to be disastrous. And before, you know, the practice heads in the wrong direction, you know, somebody can call that timeout and refocus the group, bring them back to a place of like, listen, for whatever reason, we're lazy. For whatever reason, we're not communicating. And hey, let's get a quick 30 or a full and, and get everybody together and say, we got to pick this up. And I think it's game-like, you know, because as coaches, we use those 30 and fulls when we feel like our team is lacking focus or lacking energy and try and get them back. And, you know, the, having the players practice those and make it a little bit game-like and see if they can get themselves going back because that will be something that will show up in a game. Well, the, the other thing – I want to mention here is, and I I know you see this and and you're looking for it, like early in the season with your players, your team, and and you're coaching college guys, and, you know, you just got done coaching younger, you know, female players too, so you might have, you might have a different learning now, but my, my, my thing is this, how do, how do we get players to see it and feel it themselves? When things aren't going well in practice or a game, you know, I oftentimes find myself maybe frustrated early in the season coaching a team when, let's say, we give up 
too easy transition buckets where our effort wasn't good in transition or maybe in practice our lack of focus and attention to detail isn't there. And I'm waiting to see if a player will recognize it and fix it. And so sometimes early in the season, TJ, I might call a timeout in a game. I know we'll come back to practice in a second. And we just gave up four quick points just like that. And I and I'll I'll get in the huddle and I'll say, I say, what, you know, what's going on? What's up? And and a lot of them are confused on I said, Do y'all know why we're calling a timeout? But they don't they haven't globally recognized it. Now I know I've got 20 years of coaching experience. And so I'm going to see things that they're not seeing. But I think a real key to leadership and coaching is to get your players to see the drill, the game, the practice, the way that you do. And when you start getting that, you know, your team is a player led team and your team's ready to take off. And so I think that's another uh, element to all this is how do we get our players to recognize when the focus is not there? And I know you do a really good job of that throughout the season of building to that. And sometimes, last thing I'll say on it, you know, if you have a a dynamic big-time leader coming back who, you know, is a senior or a junior and they they already know how to do that, you know, maybe right from the get in October, you're at a higher level than most other teams are. So what what are your thoughts on, on getting your players to see it? You know, I, I think ask, like asking questions is something that all coaches should do more. And, you know, we had Doug Lamal on and we talked about that and we've had different coaches on. But, you know, a typical thing that would happen in practice is like I don't think you have to be tricky with players all the time. You know, one of the things that you would commonly hear me say in practice is like I would just ask the team, hey, time out. What do you think about our focus right now? Tell me. And I would ask. You know, hey, KJ, what do you think about our focus? Nah, that's not good. KJ, what, or Chris, what do you think about it? Or, or Joe, what do you think about it? And I would just ask him what do you think about it. And then the follow-up question would be like, are you okay with that? You know, like, are you guys okay with that? Like, are, are we going to waste a day? Um, or are we going to get better? You know, like, and, and just triggering that. I mean, it does a couple of things. One, it helps them to verbalize what's actually going wrong, you know, because if they can't figure out what it is, but if you ask them the specific question, because you don't always have time for long, in-depth conversations. Hey, what do you think of our focus right now? Are you okay with that? And can we flip it? And that's a game question for me too. Hey, what do you think about um, our execution right now? Uh, it's poor. What do, what do you think about what do you, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're trying to fix, asking those questions. And I think it's real. You know, I think players want transparent coaches. And I think just being on the same page with them, asking those questions that bring to light uh, the things that need to improve and then them taking ownership because they recognize the problem. And the next thing for them to do is what? Take ownership of it. And so I think we don't have to be really tricky about it. I think we can be really just forward with it about players and, and asking them those things and then seeing if they're willing to fix it makes a big difference in the course of practice. So, you know, coaches, there's a lot lot we could say there on focus, but obviously we think it's important. A couple of things is their, their, their why. Why does focus matter? The second thing is priming them, their focus, like getting them ready, getting them in the right state of mind to go play or compete or go into practice, whatever it might be. And then how do we get them refocused when they lose focus? Because we know they will. And how do we make sure that we bring it back? And the final thing I would say on this, we won't go in depth on this, but are your practices uh, conducive? to good focus. 
You know, like, do you run practices where players kind of know what their the goal is, know what they're trying to accomplish, know what, or is it so scattered they don't really know what to focus on because there's so much going on? And so I think part of your practice planning plays in there as well. So let's jump into the second one here. And the second one, we're going to talk about points of precision. We call this like pops, like what pops and, and uh, points of precision really helps narrow the focus of what you're trying to 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 coach or to get your team to be able to do and this is important for uh, a staff to be aligned on like what are we teaching here the one of the most common things that we see in coaching saying we see it all the time is for some reason coaches feel like they have to coach everything and we know we just there's a lot of that data that just shows this that's just not effective teaching when you go out there, and I know I've used this example a lot, but I just use it because it's a really common one. But when you say, hey, Lisa, um, keep your elbow in, hold your follow through, bend your legs, don't forget rhythm in the shot, did it, and then the player's like, oh, my gosh, you know, right? And you've probably done more da- damage than you've done than you've actually helped with. And so when you go into a particular drill, and we'll just take something really, you know, a silly drill, let's just say three on two, two on one. Well, what are our what are our points of precision here? And everybody being aligned and players understanding that because you can make a drill look really, really different when you're doing three on two, two on one. And the focus of the drill is communication and precision. We want great passes, limit turnovers, and we want to make sure we're communicating well on defense as a team to get aligned in the disadvantaged situations. Right. But you could also go into that same thing and the points of precision could be completely different. I mean, it could be something that just is around, um, you know, hustle. Like everything's about hustle, about running hard, filling the lanes hard, sprinting back on defense. And there could be no communication going on in that drill. Now, you may want to touch on that later or make it a focus another day. But if you're not aligning the points of precision, before you know it, the players and the coaches and everybody will be saying everything. Hey, we're not running lanes wide. We're not making passes. We're not peeking up the floor. We're not. And you're coaching 85 things. And the problem with that is at the end of it, you don't know what sticks. You don't know. And they don't know what was the most important thing. And when you don't keep the main thing, the main thing, you could fall prey to anything being the most important thing. And it might be the least important thing to you. So, Sam, talk to me about points of precision. Vague. Plans lead to vague results. Specific plans or specific focus leads to specific results is how it summarize what you were saying. So, yeah, I mean, every every practice plan that I create, or I'd say most practice plans, most things we do would have anywhere from one to three. You know, sometimes we may push out the four things, but that would be we layer it in uh, in a certain drill or game that we're doing in practice. So, yeah, I mean, less is more oftentimes. Let's get really good, I think, especially early on. And reality is when you go play basketball five on five, you got to be really good at a lot of different things. You got to be able to think the game on offense. You got to be able to think it on defense. There's just so much going on. But as you build out your team and you get really good in certain areas, it's to your point, these points of precision are key. So coaches, as you're building your practice plan, every single thing you do, you'd want to have a area of focus. And sometimes just one thing will, will have huge dividends and, and huge returns, but couldn't agree more with the points of precision. I, I actually call them POEs or points of emphasis, TJ. So, uh, that's my opening thought. 
Yeah, and you know, I think there's two different ways to look at these right here. They can be internal or they can be external. And so when I say that they could be internal, let's just say that we're going to go do a shooting drill and you and your staff know that all we are focusing on this shooting drill is getting your feet underneath your shot and holding your follow through. That's it. So you don't want anybody talking about elbow in. You don't want anybody, you don't want to, you don't want to give them the other 10 things, or maybe it's just one thing we've noticed in shooting that we're not getting on balance. So it's going to be all about getting our body underneath and getting underneath our shot. Or we've noticed that our team is shooting the ball flat or, you know, whatever it might be, or you're an individual workout. And so we're just going to focus on arc. We're going to focus on getting the ball up. Those, those, that's the point of emphasis. That's what you, uh, you want to make happen. And so the team doesn't need to know that. But they're going to hear you and your staff just continually emphasize that thing. You're, you're going to make sure that's happening for your team. So that's internal. The second one is external. You call three on two, two on one. And the points of precision really set a gauge for them. What will make you successful today in three on two, two on one? So today, listen, three on two, two on one, we are focusing on precision. And precision, here's the things that I want. I want to make sure that our passes, um, when they're transition passes, they lead. I want to make sure that we hit a jump stop, that we're not running to pass. I want to make sure we're precise. Whatever your points of precision around, uh, points of uh, precision around precision are, or points of emphasis around precision are, like that's going to be what they need to do to be successful. So now you're outlining, now it's external. The players know what you're focusing on. And they know what they need to focus on to be successful in your eyes in this particular drill. And so you can not tell the players every time. You can also give it to the players and let them know what they need to be focusing on. Yeah, and you referenced Doug Lamoff earlier. And I think this is a really small teaching or master teaching thing that he shares that that I implement, which, you know, he has the coach's guide to teaching. So, TJ, if you're you're doing three-on-two, two-on-one, you're explaining the drill. The last thing you as a coach, your players hear you say will be really important. So if precision, to your point, is is the focus, you know, no pun on the word points of precision or points of emphasis. But if you're if your focus precision, you said, you know, you're 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 a manual college practice and you said, TJ, hey, I'll be looking for players who fill in the blank. But when you as a coach say those words, hey, here's I'll be looking for players who hustle out and get get to work right away. I'll be looking for players who are making who are taking great pride in their passing and the precision in their passing. So just that last little thing when you when you say it to your team carries a lot of weight. And so coaches, be aware of your last words, your call to action when you go out, just letting know, hey, I'll be looking for this. That right there lays their attention on where your uh, emphasis is as a coach and has a huge return. Yeah, we got two more to talk about here. I'm going to kind of flip them here. So the third is intangible. Fourth is communication. I'm going to start with communication, then we're going to come back and wrap up with intangibles. But I want to dive into communication here a little bit and why it's so important in practice. What goes wrong? How do you fix it? And there's a couple of things that I think are crucial to communication. And I'd like to get your thoughts on it, Sam. Um, One, I don't think a lot of times people don't communicate well because they don't know how to communicate. Like we haven't spent time 
on communication. If you've ever been to a PGC session, you know we talk about night communication and name, information, tone, and eye contact. Well, that's our that's our way of communicating. That's the way we want players to communicate. So I don't think a lot of players know how they should communicate. Two, I don't think they know what to say. Uh, and the third thing is it's just not common. I mean, they're just not constantly talking and communicating uh, in a way, especially, you know, now nowadays, like there's just more text communication and, and we go to practice and we expect them to talk the entire time. They just don't know. They don't know what to say. When I think about communication, here's the thing that uh, I think oftentimes is where it, where it stops or where it doesn't work really well is that we put them in fast paced, high pressure situations with an inability or not an understanding on how to communicate. And then all of a sudden we're going hundred miles an hour. One of the most effective ways I found to help a team communicate better is to slow things down. So after they know how to communicate and like what to say, then we've got to build that up just like we do any other skill. So they know how we're going to communicate and probably go even back from that, why we need to communicate. And I think as a coach, you got to make a case for why communication matters. Then they know how we're going to communicate. And when they know how we're going to communicate, then if we can get them into the drill or whatever it is and slow it down to 25% speed or 50% speed rather than go 100%, because as soon as we go 100%, doing both things, communicating well and executing that drill at 100%, is really, really hard to do. And so one of the things I found most effective is to slow things down, give their communication time to catch up with the actual pace of the drills that you're doing. Yeah, I love this topic, TJ. And there's levels of communication. There's talking and then there's communicating. And you said it earlier, why, why does it matter? We got to talk, tell our players why it matters. You know, to me, there's two big reasons. One, when you communicate, there's more energy in a practice. If there's more energy, do we get better or worse? We usually get better. If we get better, do we win more? Do we lose more? We win more. So, number one, it matters because it does elevate the energy of, of practice or games. Number two, it leads to winning. But if you just say that on itself, again, it doesn't doesn't hit. Where, when and where does it lead to winning? It leads to winning specifically on the defensive end. You've got to be a good communicating team on defense if, if you want to get stops and you want to win games. You know, in offense, I think it, it helps. I don't think it's as critical depending on, you know, what type of actions you run and that sort of thing. So to, to dial into a more specific thing, uh, let's go to the levels of, of communication. So if me and you are doing a shooting drill and I'm rebounding for you or Lisa's rebounding for you and me, I'm the coach, I would say, hey, Lisa, you could be a – uh, you, you choose what level communicator you want to be. Level one is, I just need you to count. When TJ shoots, one for two, five for eight, 11 for 15. That's a level level one. You're just talking, counting. Level two is, while you're counting, you're going to encourage TJ. Good shot, TJ. Oh, way to hold your follow through. That's three in a row. Let's make it four in a row. You're just encouraging. And then a level three communicator would give reminders. They might remind, hey, get your feet, hold your follow through, hands ready, whatever those points of precision are that we talked about earlier. So I think there's levels to the communication. That's one way you can you can outline it for your players. I think you got to tell them the why. And then the third thing, which is what you said, you got to tell them what to say. What could they say? 
you could say, ba, 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 help, help, help. That's talking. And that, that's good. I think we need to do the habit of talking. Or do you want to be a communicator? Hey, I got your gap right. I'm right here in the gap on your right. You know, that's a, that's a higher level. But I think I always like to start first. Let's just get in the habit of talking. And then once we got the habit of talking, let's level up from there on communication. Yeah. And you can't shortcut it. And I think this, honestly, I think this is why communication doesn't go well in practices very often is because you wouldn't go out there and say, all right, listen, you know, I know you, you, we just started playing basketball, but the standard here is eight out of 10 on all these shots before we move on. Like it takes a long time to make eight out of 10 from a 15 feet or, or, or 20 feet or whatever it is. It takes a long time to be able to do that. But there's this thing in coaching where I think we think we can just say it and it will happen. And I know this from failure. I mean, I know this from not my teams not have done it well. And I know teams that I've had that have done it well. I do think there are some teams that naturally talk a little bit better than others. But for them, there's another level going from, okay, acceptable to good to great. And there's other teams that are harder to get to talk for various reasons. But you can't shortcut it. And I don't think coaches really want to make time or feel like they have time to develop a really good communicating team. I think we'll just move on because we've got to go. And then they get frustrated that the team isn't communicating. So I think as a coach, you do have to make a decision early on. Is this something, you know, is this that hill? <clears throat> am I going to make sure that we're a good communicating team? And if you are, it is going to be a lengthy process. And I don't know that every coach is ready or down for that, the time that's needed to invest to make a really good communicating team. I, I didn't know how to develop communication with a team until, you know, my exposure to PGC when I first really learned. And so I think sometimes coaches, TJ, they don't they don't haven't really seen it. They don't really know what it looks like and maybe how to create it. I know that was my truth. Last thing I'll say on communication, too is give your players the opportunity, and this doesn't probably just go for communication, give your players the opportunity to assess themselves, evaluate themselves. So that could look like you stopping practice and being like, hey, ladies, fellas, what would you give us on a scale of 1 to 10 on our communication right now on defense? You know, let them assess. Like, that'll that'll give them insight if they say uh, 4, 5, 6, they like, hey, is that – is that the level of commitment we want to be? Is that going to win championships? Is that going to, is that excellent? Is that great? No. All right. Well, let's, let's improve it. So allow your teams to assess, allow your players to assess rather than you just, you know, yelling and telling. And I think you also see an uptick in how they communicate. And I will give you one final thing here in communication. I think that uh, one of the most effective things, and this is what Dick DeVenzio was so amazing at, like just creating sticky language around everything that you do. And, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways he was the originator of this, of, of sticky language, that things that, that stick with the player in their mind, it makes a point. Um, you know, I, when I think right now, I think one that's really good about that, um, is Mike neighbors, you know, when you think about his transition and the names that he has there, and I know we probably all could come up with like just sticky language. And if you have, you know, three words, let's just say that you want heard the most in transition or three words that you want heard the most during a shooting drill, you know, when we do that at PGC, um, you know, hey, Goldilocks, 
I mean, Sam, you immediately know what it says if I say Goldilocks. You know, what, what am I referring to, Sam? Yeah, a pass is not too hard, not too soft, but just right. Yeah, so you're telling the team, make better passes. You know, just say Goldilocks. Let's go Goldilocks. If I say peak, right, you know immediately, like if that's one of our three key words in transition, peak, what does that mean? Hey, hey guys, we're not peaking enough. Everybody knows what that means. And there, we could go on and on. And we have a lot of these, a lot of these words, but maybe there's three words in transition that you want you, the staff and the team to say the most because they're the most important things. And what if those three words are sticky on defense? You know, one of the things that we say a lot is mud and that refers to help. And we want to make the gaps muddy. We want them to have tough reads. And so mud, 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 that's a, that's a word. And if I say something like, listen, you're not in the mud, a, a player immediately knows what I'm talking about. And I think, Sticky language will improve your team's communication. So any final thoughts on that, Sam? No, that's good. Yeah, sticky language, common language, terminology, you know, really matter a lot and and it gets more buy-in. So that's a good one. Yeah. The fourth one we're going to talk about is intangibles. And, you know, communication isn't intangible, but that's kind of one of its own. So we're going to talk about, uh, honestly, it is the special sauce that makes a practice good. If you've ever been in a practice where the intangibles, they've got them. Um, you know, at PGC, we teach shape, the acronym of shape, spirit, communication, hustle, approach, precision, and enhancement. You know, the six intangibles that every player needs to be a great teammate, to be the best player, to maximize their potential. You know, if you go into a spirited practice or a practice with great energy, you know, there's something different about that team. You know, and if you go into a practice where there's a high level of precision, where little things are done well, there's something special about that team, right? If the attitude or the approach of that team is different, where they're tough-minded, there's something different about that team. This is what every coach wants, but not every coach has. And I think this is similar to what I said about communication. We all want it, but I don't know if we're willing to spend the time on it necessary to make it happen. And I would challenge coaches, like, why not? I mean, why not? Like everybody wants this. Everybody wants a team that embodies the intangibles that they desire or most value. So why do we fail sometimes, Sam, at having a a really energized practice or a really precise practice or whatever it might be? Why do we lack these intangibles, do you think, sometimes in practice? It's a lot harder to teach intangibles than it is how to come off a ball screen or or where to be position wise on defense. Um, there's there's an art to it. This this falls a little. I would say actually there's a science and an art to this. We've talked about some of the science behind it and how you how you bring it to life. But I you mentioned Mike Neighbors earlier, TJ, and I don't know. I think you remember. What I'm about to say, this happened six, seven years ago at our Atlanta clinic where we would have early bird 7.30 a.m. panel discussions. And this was oftentimes with four or five of our speakers all all there on a panel. And it allowed the um, coaches in attendance to just ask open-ended questions and go deeper on a particular topic. It was it was just open-ended Q&A, essentially. And one morning in Atlanta, we were there and we have a a great panel up there. Mike's up there and some other coaches. And 
we only had maybe in a, in a five to 600 member attendance of this Atlanta clinic. We had what, maybe 20 to 25 coaches there for the 7.30 a.m. And Mike said something interesting in that, that Q&A. He said, said, most coaches expect their players to do the tough things, and they won't do the tough things. It's tough being here at 7.30 a.m. Look how, look how few of coaches are in this room right now. He said, you better believe I've sent a text to my team letting them know I'm, I'm getting better right now at 7.30 a.m. The point is, I think the point is here, the, the intangibles are hard to do. Uh, and you got to model it as a coach. You got to show the way and, and do the tough things. And the tough things are, you know, communicating when you're tired. The tough things are being a great teammate, even when things aren't going your way. Those are the intangibles. I, I summarized it this past spring with our team and CTC, the intangibles being, you know, compete, toughness, and care. Let's be competitive in everything we do. Let's let's have toughness. We, we can talk about how we define that. And then number three, let's care a lot about each other. Let's care about each other on the court as players. Let's care about each other as people off the court. Um, and then you got to fight for it every day. Like, you know, you got to fight for that culture. And it takes a lot of work. So I think you asked me, where do coaches miss? I think to summarize it, two things they miss because they don't maybe know how to bring it to life. And two, they're not relentless in their pursuit of it. Yeah, and I think oftentimes a really good way to go about this is to let the players know the things that they can do. Because I'm not sure players don't want that. I think players do want a good, energized, fun practice. And so little tangible things that help them to be able to bring the intangibles to the table are important. So for instance, in practice, we say things oftentimes, um, you know, last year we were struggling a little bit with the intangibles. We made one major adjustment that I think helped is that all high fives are above the shoulder. You know, you know how players can kind of give a, a high five by the hip and it kind of is kind of low energy, but it's better than nothing, whatever. Well, as soon as we said all high fives above the shoulder, everybody checked out of a game. They were giving high fives up here. They go. That was something tangible for them to be able to do that made the intangibles better. When you see a bunch of players giving high fives above the shoulders all practice long, it shows a higher level of care and the intangibles got better. And so if you were to think about, and this is my challenge for coaches, if you were to think about maybe three things that you want in the spirit or energy category, and you were to say that, um, listen, hey, I want you to give uh, 20 encouragements throughout practice. And so think about that for a second. Let's just say it's a two-hour practice, and you want them to give 20 positive pieces of communication, encouragement, something that's uplifting. You're really asking them to give, you know, what, maybe one and a half every 10 minutes. I mean, can, can I say, Sam, great shot, Lisa, great hustle. I just knocked out two, right, in, in 10 seconds. And then, I mean, I really could knock that in no time. But then all of a sudden you multiply that by 15 players giving 20 pieces of encouragement. I don't even know the math there, but what are you looking at, like 500 encouragements over the course of a two-hour practice? That adds up. 
And what if you were to say, listen, I want everybody to give, you know, whatever it is, 30 high fives today. And so 30 high fives is a minimal thing to be able to do. I mean, if you did, if you did one a minute for the first 30 minutes of practice, you'd be done. Wouldn't have to give another one an hour and a half. But the reality of those 20 high fives or 30 high fives, sorry, you know, you're looking at what, 300, 450, you know, like you're, you're looking at a ton of high fives for your team. And you throw in all those words of encouragement, all those high fives. And before you know it, you're going to have a pretty energized practice. And so sometimes, again, I think players want it, don't know how to do it. But if you can make it a little bit more practical practical, and give players ways to bring energy, then it, I think it can be really powerful. One of the best things we've ever done is put our players in a room and say, listen, I want you to come away with the one thing you're going you're gonna to own in spirit or energy. What's one thing we can count on you for every single day? Put the players in a room, 15 players, one of them all to have something different. And one guy came out and said, hey, I'm going to give the most butt slaps of anybody on the team. You know, and everybody kind of laughed and chuckled. But take a player and at the end of the day, they're slapping everybody's butt saying, great job, great job, great, you know, whatever. And go like that brings energy, you know, and another player said, I'm going to acknowledge every great pass. And so across the gym, you hear Joe yell, hey, Sam, great pass. Hey, whatever. Like that's energy. And so if they each own something then they now are responsible. And let's just say that, you know, Teak says, hey, I'm going to give the most butt slaps to anybody in practice. We're 30 minutes into practice and say, hey, Teak, I ain't seen you slap anybody's butt. You know, like all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's my job. Like I'm supposed to bring that. So I think giving players things they need to do specifics is a great way to start building the intangibles. Yeah, put the tangible to the intangibles. I like that. You got to be careful now. You might, you could get about 14 emails on the butt slap thing from parents if you're a high school coach. So you got to be a little careful there. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's really good, TJ, is putting the tangible. That's, that's kind of going back to what I said earlier, which is that's a little bit of the science into the art. And that's really important. And I think about like a lot of, a lot of, this goes back to what we said earlier too. A lot of coaches do what when when a player comes off is subbed out of the game. What do most teams do these days? You know, you teach your players to stand up when a player comes off. And I even thought about this as we were talking. I don't know that I've done a good enough job as a coach explaining the why behind that. Like, why do we get up and greet somebody coming off the floor and give them a high five? So, again, teach the why behind it. And there's going to be deeper buy-in from your players. And then, you know, the intangibles, TJ, are really hard to define at times, right? Like toughness or whatever word we want to use, competitiveness. So the more you can talk about it and define it with your team so that they have a bigger and better understanding of it is really important, too. Uh, Those are two, you know, I, I go back to those three things I said, which is like competing, toughness, caring. Those are three intangibles um, that are really important to bring into life. Yeah. And, you know, like I think defining it, you know, toughness by Jay Billis, like every year I have the cliff notes to that and we go as a team and I give them each a couple and they present to the team. This is toughness. So we've defined it. 
And then we celebrate tough things when they're done. You know, you set a great screen. That's a tough play. You know, like we celebrate that great screen, Sam, great screen, Lisa, whatever it might be. Um, and so I think those are, are really important. So coaches, hopefully this was helpful. Um, four things. This is part one of, of eight things that can actually make your practice run better. And so I'll recap those. One is, is focus. Two is points of precision, POPs or POEs, points of emphasis. Three um, is communication, ways to make a better communicating team. And four is making sure the intangibles are there every single day. Uh, look forward to jumping into part two, where we're going to hit on four more things that will improve your practice. Uh, really appreciate everybody listening. If you got any feedback or thoughts, hit us up at hardwood underscore hustle. If you were one of the 25 people in the room that day, let us know because you're special. Um, and coaches, look forward to uh, part two, which will be coming to you next week. So uh, he is Sam Allen. I am TJ Rosine, and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. We want to bring you quality content and journey with you. Stay connected with us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at Harwood underscore hustle. From the Harwood Hustle team, thanks again. We can't wait to be with you again next week. Next week.